You're listening to the Experience Sikhi podcast, a deeper look into the Sikh identity. We present to you open, honest, and inspiring stories. No armor, pretense, or sugarcoating. Welcome to the Experience Sikhi podcast. I'm Dilraj Singh. We begin the podcast by acknowledging that we are meeting on Aboriginal land that has been inhabited by Indigenous peoples from the beginning. As settlers, we're grateful for the opportunity to meet here, and we thank all the generations of people who have taken care of this land for thousands of years. In particular, we acknowledge the traditional territory of the Anishinaabek and the Huron-Wendat. Also, just some reminders. If you guys like the podcast, please remember to comment, rate, and subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Google Play. You can also send us questions and feedback at podcast at Once again, that's podcast at Our guest today is Gursharan Kaur. Gursharan Kaur is a 28-year-old on her way to becoming a naturopathic doctor. She did her undergrad at York University in kinesiology and health sciences, and then did her doctorate at the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine. She is currently involved in research about cultural diet patterns and how they can treat chronic heart disease and metabolic syndrome. So without further ado, here's Gursharan Kaur. Welcome, Panji. How are you doing here today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So can you start off by telling the listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, I am on my way to becoming a naturopathic doctor. In my free time, though, I really enjoy uh, Harry Potter, Harry Potter marathons, reading Harry Potter, running, yoga, uh, hiking outdoors, anything, anything outdoors, honestly, mm-hmm. uh, lots of baking and uh, reading for fun. Uh, I was raised by my mom and Naniji and I have two sisters and I got married recently last year. Nice. And uh, I did my undergrad in kinesiology and health sciences at york university Mm -hmm. and then i went on to get my doctorate in naturopathic medicine from the canadian college of naturopathic medicine and you're currently in the process of getting licensed yep so i've graduated and i am now completing the board exams so that i can be a licensed doctor and use that title awesome so a lot of viewers may be hearing the term naturopathic doctor for the first time I had heard of it before, but I've never fully understood what it is. So what is naturopathic medicine and what does an, I believe it's an ND, do? Yeah, so that distinction is really important. Naturopathic doctors have the ND title, whereas uh, your family doctor, for example, has MD, medical doctorate. Mm -hmm. And naturopathic doctors basically, I like to describe it as the family doctor of everything alternative. Okay. So uh, treating the root cause of disease is the centerpiece of naturopathic medicine. Mm-hmm. And the reason naturopathic medicine is so unique is that it combines Western medicine, uh, pharmaceutical drugs, and all the medical treatments that we are used to today mm-hmm. with Eastern medicine, Eastern, mm-hmm. uh, for example, chi- traditional Chinese medicine and wow. uh, acupuncture, homeopathy, nutrition uh, lifestyle medicine mm-hmm. and combining those so integrating those together and it helps to manage patient conditions acute and chronic conditions and the important thing about naturopathic doctors is they give the power back to the patient so it's about being a 
teacher for your patients. Mm -hmm. So physician is teacher is one of the pillars of naturopathic medicine so that we can teach our patients as much as possible about their conditions so they can make informed decisions Mm -hmm. and uh, decisions that best fit their life. So there will be parts of their life where certain decisions will have to be made by emergency doctors, right? Mm -hmm. So emergent, that's where Western medicine thrives, right? That Mm -hmm. is one end of the spectrum where pharmaceuticals uh, are necessary. And the other end of the spectrum is everything alternative. So that can include energetic medicines or uh, Eastern medicines Mm -hmm. or everything that is not currently integrated into our Western medical system. But in the middle is naturopathic medicine where we get to integrate. And that's what I've spent the last four years studying Mm -hmm. how nutrition uh, botanical medicines, herbs, nutrition, all these things integrate with pharmaceuticals, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, it's about treating the whole person. Yep. And you can only do that if you put together all the pieces. So whereas mm-hmm. with Western medicine, you often see patients uh, go to their family doctor with a concern and the family doctor refers them out to a specialist. Yep. And that specialist will only treat the conditions that fall within their spectrum. But what that fails to recognize is that person now has to go to three different specialists for three different conditions and all of those things interconnect and the root cause can be treated instead of having prescription medications that have their own adverse side effects Mm -hmm. for treating each of those things. And that's where I think naturopathic medicine really thrives is treating and fighting polypharmacy, which is what pharmacists are trying to do on the forefront. But that is the last step to... um, treating the problem, right? Mm -hmm. Pharmacists are the last step to a patient getting their medications. Whereas a naturopathic doctor can integrate with their family doctor and say, Mm -hmm. Hey, I'm treating this person for whatever their thyroid, their diabetes, and, uh, their fertility concerns. And the root cause of all of these is this, and this is what Mm -hmm. I'm doing to treat it. I'm treating this with nutrition, these herbs, and these, um, different interventions. Here's, here's how we can collaborate. So interesting. Uh, naturopathic medicine, I like to describe it as a family doctor of everything alternative, nice. right? So I've spent the last four years studying how all these things integrate. So if you have questions about, can I take this herb? Can I take this natural medicine? Can I take this supplement? Can I take whatever this new diet is? There's so mm-hmm. many new diets that are being promoted yep. these days. But your family doctor doesn't have the education to talk about diet interventions, mm. about uh, herbal medicines. Yep. It's just not in their curriculum. You need mm-hmm. someone who studied this stuff mm-hmm. in detail to be able to prescribe these things to you. And that's where naturopathic doctors thrive. In terms of, you mentioned homeopathy, acupuncture. In most situations, from what I've seen, there is a homeopathic practice. And that practitioner will specialize in homeopathy. Is that mm-hmm. a completely different branch from being an ND? Are they given a different designation? Yep. So in Ontario and uh, certain provinces in Canada, acupuncturists, for example, have their own regulatory body. You have to be licensed Mm. to practice as an acupuncturist. So acupuncturists are specialized in treating patients with acupuncture and traditional Mm -hmm. Chinese medicine. Okay. Homeopathy, same deal. Aquanade Lok are very familiar with homeopathy. So homeopathic doctors are not regulated in Canada. Homeopathic medicine is not regulated in Canada. And... um, So those physicians are only able to treat within their scope. With naturopathic Mm. medicine, you get the benefit of someone who's trained in all of these areas, able to diagnose. So that is one very important distinction about naturopathic doctors. The ND title Mm -hmm. gives you the right to diagnose 
uh, order lab tests and assess a patient. Hmm. Whereas with a homeopathic doctor or a acupuncturist or traditional Chinese medicine practitioner, they do not have the license to diagnose. So if I give Hmm. a diagnosis, it can be followed up by a family doctor, right? I can order blood tests. Mm -hmm. And that is a very important distinction when you see a naturopath. Mm -hmm. That is not a protected title. Interesting. So there's a lot of legal uh, stuff that comes into clarifying who is licensed to do what in Mm -hmm. Canada. Your family doctor has the right to diagnose, order le- uh, blood tests, and assess you. Mm-hmm. And so does a naturopathic doctor. Mm-hmm. Naturopathic doctor is an equal primary care physician to a family doctor. But we wow. have different methods and tools to treat whatever you're coming in for. Interesting. So most, as as in a lot of typical South Asian households, if someone is thinking of the sciences or thinking of becoming a doctor, it's usually an MD. Mm-hmm. So why did you decide to go down the route of naturopathic medicine rather than pharmaceutical medicine? So from a young age, I was really interested in medicine. I really wanted to learn how these things worked. Mm-hmm. Seeing illness from a young age, I'm like, oh, what could have been done differently? You know, seeing uh, family members get a diagnosis that was sometimes fatal like you know this is the Mm. end of the line there's nothing more we can do for you and that answer there's nothing more we can do for you never sat right with me Mm -hmm. and so I really wanted to go into medicine from a young age but how I wanted to help people was very specific Mm. I never agreed with the idea of pharmaceuticals were the only way to treat conditions Mm -hmm. so a lot of the chronic health conditions we see in the western world today are a result of diet and lifestyle Mm -hmm. and they can be treated with such if those two things are causing the problem altering those two things will also help reverse the problem Mm -hmm. or treat it entirely so i was always reading i'm an avid reader always have been um and in high school, I started at one in the library and just worked my way down the mm-hmm. bookshelves. And wow. I finally got to this book about uh, medical ethics in Canada, mm-hmm. what doctors are allowed to do with their patients within the laws that guide medicine in Canada. And in reading that, there's so many restrictions on how they can practice, mm-hmm. what they can do for their patients, how they can counsel their patients. Yep. And so that really opened my eyes to, is this really the best way to help people? Mm-hmm. And... I did a similar thing with the Brampton Library. So I was going through the bookshelves and found this book on Chinese medicine. And Mm -hmm. it opened my eyes to how much diet was talked about in that field of medicine. Mm -hmm. You know, eating eating certain foods leads to certain problems. And that how these patterns have been recognized by other areas of uh, other regional medicines, whether it's Ayurvedic medicine or traditional Chinese medicine, Mm -hmm. the path to the problem has been highlighted so much more than in Western medicine. Western medicine is just focused on treating the symptoms. Mm -hmm. What has led to the problem? What is the person doing that is creating the problem in the first place? Let's reverse those steps first Mm. before adding on something foreign as a pharmaceutical. And I'm not against pharmaceuticals. I don't want to seem like I'm going down that brand. Mm-hmm. Everything has its time and place. And yep. I think that integration is the future of medicine as we go forward in the 21st century. Mm-hmm. Both strengths, both areas of medicine have things to offer. Mm-hmm. And they can be integrated, ideally, for patient care. In terms of what that interaction looks like, you've mentioned that you can diagnose, you can be referred to, uh, by an MD, 
So what do those interactions between naturopathic doctors and other physicians look like? And when do these interactions occur? What would prompt, let's say, a doctor to refer their patient to an ND? Mm -hmm. So like you mentioned before, a lot of people are not aware of what NDs do, Mm -hmm. what naturopathic doctors have to offer, how we're educated and what we are regulated to do. So that lack of education in medical doctors prevents everyone from knowing what we have to offer. Hmm. The few that do know understand what their patients could get from seeing a naturopathic doctor. So as uh, an intern, part of my job was when treating patients under the supervision of a licensed naturopathic doctor Mm -hmm. would be to communicate with their family doctor, either their MD or their psychiatrist, because I did practice with a psychotherapist and naturopathic doctor who focuses on mental health. Mm -hmm. So I got to see a wide variety of mental illnesses and a lot of those patients were being seen by psychiatrists. So integrating those things was meant speaking with the family doctor or the psychiatrist about the interventions we were doing. So Mm -hmm. the first step was making them aware of what we had to offer and why we were doing certain things. So the fear with naturopathic medicine oftentimes is that it is not based in science or it's Mm -hmm. not Mm evidence-based. And one thing that is a part of my job as a naturopathic doctor or will be once I'm licensed Mm -hmm. will be to educate MDs on the evidence-based medicine that we are using. Mm -hmm. So if a patient is coming in with a condition and I'm giving them a certain supplement, what is my decision-making process going behind that? Why am I giving Mm. this? What research do I have to support that decision? And for MDs, that kind of decision-making process has been handed down because of pharmaceutical companies and the way they structure the decision-making process on which medicine is best for which condition. With naturopathic doctors, we have to be on top of our game and keeping up with the upcoming research. Mm -hmm. So as more and more research is coming out about certain deficiencies leading to certain conditions or certain medications causing certain deficiencies Mm -hmm. and leading to those side effects, we have to be on top of all of it and educating MDs as to how it's affecting their patients. Mm -hmm. So the primary connection with MDs and NDs comes from naturopathic doctors reaching out to MDs, talking and collaborating over patient care. Mm -hmm. And from there, once an MD understands what we do, then they are better able to refer their patients to us. Once they see the benefit, once they understand what we're actually doing, because it's hard Mm -hmm. to refer your patient to a stranger who you don't really understand how they work. So educating MDs is a huge part of my job or will be. And Mm -hmm. it was my job as an intern. And once you do that, then you open up the doors to more communication and more referrals and MDs mm-hmm. talking to other MDs and it just goes from there. So how much of being an ND would you say is entrepreneurial in a sense where you have to network and get, I guess, your name out there as a practitioner and then reel in MDs as part of your circle? Do you feel like someone without those networking skills or someone who can't tap into that you know, what we call the character of a social butterfly, that they may not succeed as an ND in building a practice? So there's two parts to, I want to answer that question in two parts. Mm -hmm. Firstly, entrepreneurial skills are very essential if you want to be practicing naturopathic medicine as a primary care physician. Mm -hmm. 
But there's so many ways you can go with a naturopathic medical degree. You can get licensed as a naturopathic medical doctor and work in a lot of different fields. Mm -hmm. You can go on to work with uh, nutraceutical companies. So companies that are forming uh, nutritional supplements, herbs, and botanicals, and Mm -hmm. be on the forefront of research to creating new natural supplements for uh, different conditions. Mm -hmm. You can go into the legal side of things and work on advocating for the rights naturopathic doctors have, fighting for the legal background of what allows us to do what we do today. Mm -hmm. Or you can go into consulting, and that is an entirely different field. So there's a lot of ways you can go with your care. A new forefront of naturopathic medicine is naturopathic oncology, and you can work with uh, oncologists and uh, treating cancer patients and working on research uh, at the forefront of cancer and uh, integrating naturopathic and uh, allopathic or traditional Western mm-hmm. medicine. And that those areas don't require as much entrepreneurial uh, yeah. skills. And that way you can still work with that naturopathic medical degree you've earned, mm-hmm. but work in a different capacity. And I think there's yeah. so many other directions you can go in with a naturopathic medical degree that aren't mm-hmm. talked about as much. With medicine, a lot of people think that one-on-one patient care, primary care physician role is the only role you can play. Yep. And that is a role for someone who does have that strong entrepreneurial spirit, who uh, enjoys working on their communication skills, who is very open to collaborating with a lot of different people, mm-hmm. uh, MD, psychiatrist, um, psychotherapist, counselors, what have you. And that's somewhere where I've found that I thrive and I enjoy working. So a hmm. uh, primary care physician role is where I see myself headed. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are definitely other ways you can go. Interesting. So what is the difference between the process of becoming an ND versus becoming an MD? Are you going to the same schools? Is it the same sort of academic structure? Yep. Yeah, so... Similar to uh, what MDs have to go through, you do have to go through four years of undergrad where you get a Bachelor mm-hmm. of Science and meet all those science requirements for applying to med school. The only difference is uh, there is no MCAT or entry exam oh, for nice. naturopathic medical schools, mm-hmm. uh, just a certain GPA that they require. And then there's only one naturopathic medical school in Canada. So that oh, narrows wow. your possibilities as to where you want to go yeah. in Canada. There's four or five in the States. So you can go uh, in that direction. and But in terms of the pre-med requirements, I think MCAT is what seems most daunting to a lot of students. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's not required for a naturopathic medical school. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a Bachelor of Science and uh, all those, you know, biology, physiology, anatomy, all those prerequisites that typical medical schools want you to have. Interesting. And are there any courses or programs within the undergrad structure that a student might take to help them prepare for naturopathic medicine or naturopathic or be better suited for naturopathic medicine studies? I think one thing I would recommend to people is that they do a bachelor of science in an area they enjoy. Mm -hmm. So personally, I really enjoyed kinesiology and health sciences. I found a passion for movement, exercise, and, uh, body mechanics, you know, in kinesiology in high school. So I went in that area and I did my undergrad in kinesiology Mm -hmm. and it helps to do an undergrad in something you enjoy 
because it helps with learning material. If you're doing something that you don't enjoy at all, it's going to make the entire process miserable Mm -hmm. and it doesn't help. But in terms of specific courses, I would recommend that uh, students add as many anatomy, biochem, physiology courses as they can, even if they're not required, Mm -hmm. because they will only give you a leg up for when you get to medical school. So the more information you can retain um, in your undergrad years will make the first and second years of uh, medical school a bit easier because medical school is a huge shift Mm -hmm. from undergrad in terms of course load, in terms of uh, the amount of work required. So if you Mm -hmm. can shift some of that into your undergrad, you'll be able to sail a bit smoother in medical school. Did you live on campus when you were studying to become a naturopathic doctor? Was How much did it differ from being an undergrad? Yeah, so for my undergrad, I went to York University, and Mm -hmm. uh, it was close enough that I was able to commute. And that commute sometimes took from one to two hours one way. Wow. And that uh, Brampton's transit is another conversation. But that level of education allowed for commute time. Mm-hmm. Whether I read or slept on the bus, yeah. it didn't matter. I was able to spend that time commuting and it mm-hmm. didn't matter. For medical school, I realized early on, I did try to commute. I mm-hmm. did try. It took two and a half hours one way. So I was spending Yikes. four and a half to five hours a day commuting and yep. it was not sustainable. Yep. One month into my naturopathic medical education and I was behind. I was struggling yep. so much for not being able to commit the amount of time and energy it needed to keep mm-hmm. up with studies you hit the ground running. Mm-hmm. So you really need to be able to commit your time and energy. And I realized early on, well, one month in, that I needed to move on to campus. And yeah. uh, my family supported that. So I moved on to campus and lived okay. on campus for the rest of my education. And it made a world of a difference. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So for someone, let's say they're they're living close enough to commute. Let's say they were similar to your undergrad commute, where it's about an hour. Would you suggest that they go forward with that commute or in any circumstance that they should live on campus? I think a commute is possible. Um, It depends on how much it drains from you. So a Mm. lot of people find driving to be very draining and exhausting. And Mm -hmm. if you have to drive through Toronto traffic Mm -hmm. and be exhausted by the time you get to school, it's not productive. Yep. On the other hand, if you find living at home to be with your family Mm -hmm. and that support system to be essential to your success Mm -hmm. then continue living at home and make that uh, call as to what is paying off more in your education Mm -hmm. if -hmm. you can forego the support system at home and live on campus it is an adjustment but it has a huge payoff and if driving isn't that much of a concern to you continue living at home Mm -hmm. or if you can forego that support system and live on campus and then live on campus. I think it's a very personal decision and the factors that lead to it are the ones that determine your success. So you need to be able to outline what is draining and what is supporting and feeding you Mm -hmm. and then make the decision from there. Did you feel like your network may not have been as strong if you continued commuting? Did living on residence play a hand into establishing those relationships? I think for myself, I changed a lot at mm-hmm. naturopathic medical school. I had opportunities from living on campus that I wouldn't have had if mm-hmm. I commuted. Yep. 
So the roles and the jobs I got, so I worked two jobs while in school and both of them were on campus Mm -hmm. and they allowed me to really develop my communication skills. If you met me during my undergrad years, I did not speak as well as I do now. Mm -hmm. And that is solely because of the positions I was forced into, well, not forced into, that I jumped into Mm -hmm. uh, during my medical school years. And those forced me to hone my communication skills, learn how to speak well, learn how to speak confidently, mm-hmm. um, be confident in who I am when I'm approaching a table full of strangers or as a Gurse Khabibi, I'm going to be honest, approaching a table full of Gurse, yeah. right? And being able to hold my own. And I can only speak for myself as a BB, what it feels like to be in, at a table in a conversation with a um a bunch of men mm-hmm. and be able to assert my confidence in that moment. And so mm-hmm. I wouldn't have had the opportunities to work on those skills if yep. I was commuting. Interesting. That's fair. I feel like a lot of similarities exist in in a lot of graduate programs where even though I'm someone who commutes to law school, I think every single student I've spoken to who's entering law school, I urge them to live on campus because from a law perspective, living with your peers who are eventually going to become practitioners as well, it solidifies a relationship. I feel like it's different when you're spending all of that time together and it's not just in the classroom, it's outside living. Um, so I find that very interesting that that's almost a universal experience. You're just opening yourself up to opportunities and conversations that may not be had at home. In terms of, sorry, in terms of bringing it back to within the household, was there any pushback from your family or friends when you set your sights on this career path? Again, we've mentioned a couple times already, it's not necessarily conventional. It may have been something your family hasn't heard about. So what did those conversations look like? Absolutely. No one had heard about naturopathic medicine when I brought it up. Hmm. And I think a lot of people have parents with certain expectations saying uh, that they would like their children to go in one field or another. My mom was an open book in that sense. Like Mm. there was no sense of direction that she pushed us in. Mm -hmm. And she really, the only direction she pushed us in was to find something for ourselves. Mm. And she, that she would support us the whole way. And she did. When I came up with naturopathic medicine as the one area I wanted to go in, Mm -hmm. she took the time to understand it. I had to explain it to her. Yep. And um, I had to explain it to my whole family. You know, this is what I'm going into. But once I did, once they understood my conviction behind it, mm-hmm. my reasoning behind it, and how sure I was of it, mm-hmm. it made the the decision to support me a lot easier mm. because I had done all my research. Yep. I had done all the research of Canadian schools. At the time, there was two Canadian schools. Mm. Comparing those to the U.S. schools, the benefits of going into this field of medicine compared to allopathic or traditional medicine, yep. why it was important to me to be able to practice medicine this way. Mm-hmm. And how sure I was of my decision. I think my conviction when I brought it up was a huge factor hmm. in and the research I had done. Yep. So it wasn't like I was making a blind decision or a, you know, impromptu or uneducated decision. Mm-hmm. And that really influenced how they supported me. Yeah. Um, in terms of uh, Am Sangat or even extended family not understanding, I think at times it wouldn't take me back. You know, when mm-hmm. someone would say, you know, I'm Dr. Banjo. Hmm. And I know it came from a good place, mm-hmm. but it was from not understanding what this field of medicine had to offer. Mm-hmm. And only I understood that fully. Yeah. Right. Either mm. myself or other people in the field. Yep. And instead of taking the time to explain 
why I was going into this field um, to people who did not want to listen, who mm-hmm. were only offering their experience, their opinion from their experience. Yep. I would accept the advice that they gave, mm-hmm. right? I would keep it and remind myself, you know, so-and-so said this and so-and-so said this, but they said it because they wanted me to do things a certain way or mm-hmm. they uh, only understood things a certain way. Yep. And I still had to make my own decisions. Mm-hmm. And I think it just came down to trusting my own conviction. Yep. I'm not going to lie. Those opinions did sway me sometimes, mm-hmm. especially when they came from people I really respected. Yep. It was hard to hear that. Mm-hmm. But then you would also have others who would say, yeah. And, you know, then you remember that the rest of the way. Hmm. Very interesting. I feel like part of your job then became doing prachar of what NND is within your family. Does that prachar stay confined to the MDs that you're talking to or your patients? Or do you want to do broader prachar of what naturopathic medicine is as well? I think I'm going to be doing prachar till I die. Nice. Um, in terms of uh, with family to MDs, the larger medical community, mm-hmm. and to uh, patients and uh, upbringing community as well. Yep. And I think, like you said, it's about educating about what naturopathic medicine is, mm-hmm. what it has to offer, and how people can really benefit and live their most ideal lives. I think the distinct distinction between uh, allopathic or Western medicine mm-hmm. and uh, naturopathic medicine, one thing I realized early on is about it's about living your most healthful life. Mm. It's not merely about surviving. It's not yep. merely about suppressing the symptoms you have. I my goal is to help people live their most vital lives possible. Mm-hmm. It's not about uh, delaying death. Yeah. As we see with Western medicine, right? It's not solely mm-hmm. about keeping your heart beating. It's about helping you make the decisions where you can live your best life mm-hmm. now. Interesting. And hopefully I can educate about that in both English and Punjabi, mm-hmm. whether it's on social media or it's in person. I really hope to get that information out there and that healthcare is not one size fits all. I really hope I can get the message out there that there is an area of medicine that customizes it to each person because each mm-hmm. person is so unique in mm-hmm. their living circumstances, their diet, the genetics that they have and everything that they have to offer. And that yeah. care needs to be personalized. And I really hope I can get that message out there. If there's a third language I can learn, hopefully I'll start doing it in that too. But awesome. um, on social media, if anyone wants to help me get that message out there, I am always down. Oh, that's awesome. That covers a lot of your career and training so far. So what did your journey into Sikhi look like? Where and how does it start in your life? I was raised in a Gursik household. So Mm -hmm. I had the amazing privilege of being raised that way. And I started school wearing a geiski, right? Keeping my geese. So I didn't have that shift of the change in identity or the challenge Mm -hmm. of going to school without the thought or geiski first and then tying one so Mm -hmm. from a young age my entire identity amongst gore was that of a um ratman gorsik right Mm -hmm. wearing a dastar wearing a geski yep and at home we always had uh prakash at home and with that came sangat and uh regular amrit vidla and Mm -hmm. we were so lucky to have that in our home and have that as a constant Mm -hmm. right 
to have that Sangatha inspiring us and supporting us. And I think I might be alone in this, but Amrita is one of the hardest things to maintain. And mm-hmm. when you have Sangat coming home, it's kind of like that little guilt trip yeah. to wake you up. All the Sangat came and you're in the comfort of your own home and mm-hmm. I couldn't wake up. So yeah. that Sangat really supported uh, me in that sense. And I think it really reminded me because that Sangat was constantly changing, right? Who mm. was coming over. Yep. So you would see people um, who were just starting Sakin looking for Sangat. Mm-hmm. And they were so desperate to find Sangat to do Amrit Vela with. Yep. And then you would see people who have been doing Amrit Vela so regularly. And it was mm. a reminder about how much of an ongoing journey that is. Yep. And um, so my journey has just been... I think it's like an infinity loop. I don't know when it started. I don't know. When, it's never going to end. Nice. So it's just an, an ongoing journey. And what role did Saki play in your undergrad and medical school experience? Because undergrad, you were still commuting. But I think as many undergrad students, especially in the sciences, may may say it's it's a very tough and stressful journey. And then medical school, you're no longer home. So what role did Saki play in your life during those phases? Mm-hmm. I think I often describe undergrad as a marathon um, since I enjoy running marathons, I understood what that felt like mm-hmm. and whatever your sport is, um, relate it back to that because it is a mission to get through undergrad, mm-hmm. whatever you need to do. So whether, whatever sport it is, I can only speak for myself. And when running marathons, you know, it's a long and arduous journey. Yep. Got kilometers ahead of you. You just need to keep your head down and keep going. Mm-hmm. And that involved me taking every opportunity to stay connected to Sangat. Mm-hmm. So growing up, we always had regular Saturday morning Asadivars mm-hmm. and trying to stick by that as much as possible, yep. right? And I know education gets in the way a lot of times, but no matter how tired I was, one thing my mom constantly said to me was, this time's not coming back, hmm. Yeah. right? Very you true. can't make up this lost time. Yes, yep. you're tired now, but you're not going to get this time back. Hmm. And that was a reminder. Um every weekend. So whatever Keithan program there was or whatever was going on, you're not going to get this time back. Mm-hmm. So trying to stay connected to Sangat at Amrit Villa, and there was times that I wasn't able to wake up uh, on time. I would do my Amrit Villa a bit later, but trying to do a little bit more on my own because of that. Yep. Uh, trying to maintain Saturday morning Asadivas. And I know for a lot of kids in Brampton, they are working alongside their undergrad education, which mm-hmm. adds another layer to it. Yep. And so was I. I was working mm-hmm. part-time and it was a very labor-intensive job and that let, added a level of exhaustion, but that much more desperation to stay connected to the Sangat because yep. they kept me grounded. So whether it was, you know, even if I missed uh, half a dance because I was at work till midnight, yep. going for the last few hours, mm. right? Um, taking every opportunity was vital to me to staying grounded mm-hmm. and that's why i describe undergrad as like a marathon i just put my head down and i did what i had to do went to school you know went to work and then went to uh, enjoy sangat as much as i could mm-hmm. and everything else had to be put on hold when you have something you're so passionate about and you really want to get to that finish line for me during undergrad medical school was a finish line yep that's where i had to get to that mm-hmm. was the next step um and to get there, you know, you do what you got to do. Mm-hmm. And then uh, medical school, like you said, it was a complete shift because I moved onto campus. Yep. And that entire routine that I had during undergrad was thrown out the window. Mm-hmm. I no longer had Sangat supporting my Amrit Veda. I yep. no longer had that uh, home base that was 
allowing me to get Maharaj's Darshan daily, I had to create my own routine. And I know a lot of kids go through that uh, during undergrad, yep. moving on to campus in undergrad. That change happens earlier. Mm-hmm. For me, it happened during medical school. That's just the way it worked out. Yep. But I had to establish a new routine. How did I keep myself grounded? Mm-hmm. Right? How did I find Sangath in that area of Toronto? How did I stay connected? So yep. it was a bit of a challenge finding friends or finding online resources, you know, listening to the Barsa Hukam Nama, because that's where mm-hmm. I would get my Hukam Namas have living in. Uh, residents and uh, it's an adjustment (laughs) dorm lifestyle and uh, maintaining sangat and then uh, one thing that really helped was uh, taking a keyboard or harmonium to my Mm. room right being able to connect with Geethan and uh, taking your saj with you makes a huge difference Um, but also highlighting that lifestyle for others around you so Mm. um where dorm lifestyle differs a bit is that there is a culture like you said you do get to stay connected with your peers more and there is so much to gain from that Mm -hmm. Um, but one fallback was that students were up until really late counterintuitive counterintuitive to a go six lifestyle Mm -hmm. and um highlighting that you know i go to bed early and i gotta wake up early and set a different lifestyle and you represent six in that manner and they see you know that person lives a different lifestyle and to respect it yeah really interesting i feel like that's another pachad in and of itself which we don't see as much now and i think a lot of parents are now also opening up to it in terms of there used to be a lot of hesitation in terms of letting your kid go away for school but now children are more adamant about it that was one of the conversations when i had to pick a school that my mentor and i had was one of the schools may have been further from home, but it was one in which the Sikh community didn't necessarily exist. And me just being there as a virtue of being myself would have been prachad in and of itself. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't a consideration that I had thought of until my mentor brought it up. But I realized how important something like that might be. Mm-hmm. When when people that are our age who may not be exposed to Sikhi, because they might be exposed to Sikhs, but not necessarily Sikhi, um, mm-hmm. how deep of an impact that may have. In terms of, you've mentioned Sangat a couple times now. You've had it throughout your life. For a lot of people entering Sikhi now, the trend we're seeing is a lot of the Sikhi is grown through social media and independent research. But like many of us know, Sangat is very important. So why is it important? What are the benefits of having Sangat in your life? Mm-hmm. I think I need to distinct distinguish what I mean by saying Sangat. Sangat mm-hmm. is not just the people at the Gurdha Saib that you sit with when you're listening to Geetha or Katha. Yep. Um, it's, I'd like to call it your home-based Sangat, the mm-hmm. people that hold you accountable, the ones you go back to regularly. And uh, these people will hold you accountable and inspire you. Mm-hmm. And I think these two things are vital for whichever Sangat you choose. And in Toronto, we have the blessing of having so much Sangat to choose from. Yep. Whoever you resonate with should be able to inspire you to do more and hold you accountable for what you are currently doing. So for me, uh, living at home uh, during my undergrad, I had that Sangat at home that was constantly keeping me up 
regularly for Amrit Villa. Mm-hmm. Or when you go to uh, a Salivar set on Saturday mornings, they would expect you to have another Shabad Gantar, learned a new Shabad to be able to do Kirtan. Mm-hmm. And uh, that Sangat holds you accountable in that sense. And then during Smogams on a biannual basis, yes, you wouldn't see them regularly, but yeah. when you would, they still hold you accountable. Mm-hmm. This Pai Sabda would come over from BC mm-hmm. every summer, they'd ask me, Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. And there would always, always be that fear that I need to get that gant before they get here. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Like it's a healthy amount yeah. of fear to be held accountable by Gursiks. Mm-hmm. And I think that is an important function of Sangat. Mm-hmm. So as much as social media teaches, it can't give you that contact or that uh, in-person exchange that happens mm-hmm. with Gursiks. So, yeah. When I moved to uh, North York for school, I no longer had that home-based Sangat as often. I would go to the Gorda I would sit with Sangat for mm-hmm. Kirtan or Gatha and feel so disconnected. No one knew me there. Yeah. Right? And that feeling of being known and being held accountable was so vital. Um, mm. And that I had to start doing it for myself. And I understand that was a part of growing. But it's still going home as as infrequently as I went home, that Sangat was still there mm-hmm. asking that. Fair. So when I did go home every two weeks or, you know, however infrequently I did, they were still there mm-hmm. asking those same questions. Got it. And I think that is vital. So whatever Sangat you have, if they're not holding you accountable, I think you got to shift your Sangat. Mm-hmm. You mentioned holding yourself accountable. What did that look like? Were you someone who wrote down goals did you have something to track your progress what did that look like Mm -hmm. i write everything down if you know me everything is written down Mm -hmm. somewhere on a calendar in my planner uh, on my google planner is hilarious one time someone saw it and the entire day was planned out including getting groceries but that was the only way to get everything done yeah um if i wanted to uh commit myself to you know, keep them practice twice a week. I had to put that in there mm-hmm. because it is so very easy to get swept up by other commitments. Yep. I also had two jobs while working in naturopathic medicine, like my medical school. Um, so a lot of times those jobs would take up so much of my time. If I didn't carve out distinct time to sit down to listen to Gatha or sit down and practice keep then mm-hmm. um, it wouldn't happen. Mm-hmm. And the I had to fiddle around with it until I found something that worked. Yep. I couldn't sit down and listen to Gatha. I'd fall asleep. It just didn't work for me. Fair, so I had fair. to schedule in walks. And I mm-hmm. needed time to go outside. I need to be going on walks. Yep. Right? That really supported my mental health. Mm-hmm. So I planned to listen to Gatha on my walks. I would schedule my walks. I would make my walks long enough for that playlist. Mm-hmm. So wow. that was one thing that really helped. And then scheduling time. Uh, Sad practice was twice a week. Mm-hmm. I had to put that in there. And I had to put in time, you know, to do what I wanted to do because it, it didn't happen. Calendars, I I could advertise Google calendars. I love it so much. Mm-hmm. That regularity, put in that recall, like the repeat yep. option, and it reminds you every week. Mm-hmm. It takes out that decision making because your decision making yeah. will change based on your mental health. Mm-hmm. It'll change based on your circumstances. Mm-hmm. And if you want to keep anything constant in your life, if you want to work on anything, you have to make it a habit. Mm-hmm outside of your control hmm. so if Amrit Villa is as uncompromising as you want it to be you have to put it in as a mandatory thing mm-hmm. having someone hold you accountable helps but yep. if you have to hold yourself accountable then you need to set up all the steps that lead to it 
Mm-hmm. Bedtime has to be non-negotiable. Yep. Whatever it is. I'm not going to act as if my Amrath Villa was like, you know, rock solid through school. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not that person. But I didn't stop trying. Yep. As many times as I would falter, I would continue getting back up. I'm like, oh, yep. last week was terrible. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this next week, what am I going to try to do different? Mm. Okay, last week I... Yeah, I didn't do as much more Barney as I wanted to do. Mm. What am I going to do differently next week? Throughout medical school, it was a constant journey of me trying to figure out myself. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that ever ends. But uh, during that time, I had to figure out how can I hold myself accountable? Calendars were the best way to do it. Mm -hmm. And rewriting goals. So I constantly had a document. I like to be optimistic. So I labeled it my success plan. Mm-hmm. what were things I would consider myself to be a success of? How would I consider this month? Yep. So with school, you're often divided into semesters. Mm-hmm. So I would con- write down, what do I consider to be my successes in this semester? Mm-hmm. What grades did I want? What did I want in terms of uh them practice? Mm-hmm. What did I want in terms of Amrit Midla, in terms of listening to certain playlists uh, for Gatha? Like, yep. what did I need? to consider myself a success. What, how yeah. could I give myself a pat on the back at the end of the day? Yeah. Because if you're not encouraging yourself, if it's constantly berating and that self-hatred, I've tried that path too. Mm-hmm. It's not sustainable. It right. doesn't last long and it's not conducive to constantly lifting yourself back off. If mm-hmm. you kick yourself down when you're down, it just pushes you down further. Yeah. So look for ways to encourage yourself, celebrate yourself, and... Say, yes, I did achieve this this last mm-hmm. quarter. Great. Let's keep doing that. You mentioned taking care of yourself as someone in the medical field. And again, your motivation behind pursuing an ND, you help many people. Do you ever experience burnout? And if you do, how do you A, recover from them and B, prevent them from happening in the first place? Yeah, so... There's two things I think that lead to burnout as far as I've seen. Mm-hmm. One, working a job that you hate. And two, neglecting yourself. Mm. So I got really good at neglecting myself mm-hmm. because I had this larger goal in mind. I thought that self-neglect oh. was the only way to get to reach that goal, to get yeah. to that end point. Mm. And I think a lot of people do this is... Uh, deprive themselves of either small luxuries or Mm self-care until they reach that goal. And it's all a part of this hustle culture that's come up now. And Instagram Mm -hmm. has so much, YouTube has so much to offer. You know, you need to be grinding constantly. You can't ever be taking care of yourself. You Mm -hmm. need to keep going until you reach your goal. And I did fall into that trap for a while. And when I talk about self-care, it's not about overindulgence or you know playing video games for a whole weekend or allowing yourself to be lazy with netflix binges or whatnot Mm -hmm. it's not about self-indulgence if you are taking care of yourself on a long journey for your career it's about sustainability Mm -hmm. it's about keeping yourself healthiest mentally physically spiritually all of those things tie in together so Mm. when i talk about self-care it's about exercise like i mentioned before taking myself out on walks people talk about taking their dogs out on walks as if it's a non-negotiable but for themselves it doesn't exist so i treated myself like i had to take myself out on a walk Mm -hmm. 
didn't want to do it sometimes weather sucked or my mood was off but you still have to take yourself out uh Mm. whatever exercise you enjoy i enjoyed running getting outdoors running was the best therapy for me and it changed my mindset like enormously if i was having a bad day it could turn around with a run wow you know put on your favorite playlist and get outside or when i realized i was getting too anxious i fall into this trap a lot where i look at myself through the eyes of what i think other people are thinking Mm -hmm. so with social media you see so much judgmental media being put out there everything is about judging your image what you're putting out there how you present yourself and so if i started getting into that loop that anxious mindset i had to learn about how to shift that perspective Mm -hmm. and that was a form of self-care putting away the social media learning what shifted my perspective and getting out of my own head therapy when you're feeling overwhelmed or Mm -hmm. whether it's time in nature when you're feeling exhausted um getting back to Ethan. a lot of times I would go see my doctor and say, hey, I'm feeling burnt out. I don't know what's going on. And they would ask me, like they knew me well enough to ask me, when was the last time uh, you did Geethan? Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh man, it's been a while. I'm like, okay, I got to I gotta bring that back, mm-hmm. right? And that's when I realized I had to put it into my calendar. Because yep. if I just left it up, if my looking at my Saj every day on my shelf was, I was hoping would remind me, yep. but it didn't. It was more of like a... Like, don't like, mm-hmm. you know, you haven't done Keith in a while. Yeah. Putting it into my calendar took away that decision making. Wow. Um, doing Simran when you ha- feel like you got nothing left. Mm-hmm. That type of self-care, recognizing what is the treatment for what you're feeling now. Yeah. For me, exhaustion, I had to do Simran. If I felt hopeless or down or burnt out, I needed to do Keith then. Mm-hmm. And whatever it is that sustains you, whatever, if your self-care is not supportive or dealing with what is making you feel burnt out it's not self-care it is candy similar giving it giving candy to a sick person yep if you want medicine self-care is a form of medicine for yourself Mm -hmm. or your mental and physical health you need to recognize what is treating whatever is you're feeling and you need to have the discipline to get yourself to do it Mm -hmm. because no one is going to do it for you Yep. right there's no caretaker in medical schools or whatever professional school you go to Mm -hmm. to help you take care of these things for yourself so you have to become a professional in dealing it taking care of yourself and all of this goes into not neglecting yourself but that first point i mentioned about working a job you hate i know we all got to work jobs to get through undergrad or grad schools whatever it is but one thing i realized is that i had to draw boundaries I didn't necessarily hate the job to begin with. I enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. But I had such a lack of boundaries. I let everyone walk all over me. Mm -hmm. I didn't have enough boundaries to be able to do the job, but not burn myself out. And when I realized that boundaries were the essential component, I had to put those in place. So I wasn't giving up too much and being left depleted. And part of that involved knowing how much I could do for people and what they needed to do for themselves. Mm-hmm. So for people going into healthcare fields, I think that's an important lesson to learn. Try to learn it early on. I learned it through one of uh, the doctors I shadowed, mm-hmm. and he really highlighted, you need to understand how much you can do for people. Where yep. does your help end? Because you can't force someone to get better. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. have to be able wow. to give them the tools, and if they are willing to use them, then they're willing and able. Mm-hmm. But you can't go into their home and change their life for them. Yep. And I think that goes into every field. I know we all want to be helping 
in healthcare. Mm-hmm. A lot of people go into healthcare because they want to help. There is that desperate need to help people. Yep. But you, I think everyone needs to understand there is a limit to how much you can help. And if you overextend yourself, you will burn out and you can no longer help people. So to be able to help the most amount of people sustainably mm-hmm. and to their most benefit, you need to be able to draw that boundary to know how much you can do for people where mm-hmm. you need to stop. I'm so glad you bring this up because after my first semester of law, and that was a semester where I'd go to the gym almost every single night. But when it came to second semester to, again, achieve certain goals, I then let go of the gym. And because of that, I haven't been able to get into a regular routine because it was always, there's an end goal to meet. And until I get there, I can't return back to the gym because takes too much time or I need to spend more time mm-hmm. doing this, this and that. So I'm, I'm glad you bring it up because now I'm realizing that what I thought is self-care in terms of if I achieve these academic goals, I will feel better about myself is now turning into also self-neglect, self-neglecting my, my physical health mm-hmm. is something that I used to enjoy doing, uh, enjoyed it enough to go every single day at one point, but now haven't gone back in almost a year. Mm-hmm. So it gives me a lot to think about. So I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. In terms of back to the prachar and you've mentioned social media, for example, the prachar of naturopathic medicine, have you been speaking to a lot of youth um, about their experiences and are there any recurring themes that are coming up when they are thinking about their careers, their lives? And this Mm -hmm. could be someone in undergrad or someone even younger in high school, elementary. What are kids thinking about these days? I think one thing that plagues, especially us as second generation Punjabis Mm -hmm. in Canada, is that our parents came here to give us opportunities. Yep. And they really worked so hard Mm -hmm. to set us up for success. Yep. And they want us to have better lives than we did. And oftentimes, as well-intentioned as it is, they try to push you towards what are the top three? Law, medicine, and... Doctor, lawyer, engineer. Doctor, lawyer, engineer, yeah. They try to push you towards those things because they think they will guarantee you success Mm -hmm. and stability in the future, right? Mm -hmm. That's all parents want. And they have just set up our lives here for us to be successful. Canada has so many opportunities. Mm -hmm. Like there's... It's mind-boggling. It's like Netflix. If you scroll long enough, you forget what you were looking for in the first place. Um, If you know what you're looking for it makes it a bit easier but the opportunities Mm. are so vast i often find young people are a bit confused Mm because there's so much out there you can go in any direction and be successful now doctor lawyer engineer are not the only ways to find stability in your life Mm -hmm. now the question Mm. people need to be asking is what do i want to do with my life i think as god six we need to remember that we are here for seva Mm -hmm. right i I'm only going to speak for myself. I needed to remind myself that I need to find a career where I can be doing seva. Hmm. That was vital to me. I really wanted to find a way to do that. Mm -hmm. Whether So I know we can do it through our careers and we can do it outside of our careers as well. So whether you have a way of doing that outside of your careers and want your career just to be for your enjoyment, Mm -hmm. you've got to figure that out. The only way to do that is to know yourself first. Yep. I think solitude is a really underrated tool. Yeah. I think 
getting to know yourself by being alone, being introspective, learning about yourself, learning what you really want to do Mm -hmm. and how you want to do it. Answer so much of your own questions. A lot of times I really, I don't answer this question when people ask me this, what should I do? Hmm. Because when someone else gives you the answer, there will come a day that you are unhappy with the decision that they made for you because they don't know your own circumstances. They don't know what you want out of life. They don't know what you're looking for. They Mm -hmm. don't know all the components that go into making a decision about something as big as your career. Yeah. You're going to be doing this for a lot of years in your life. Mm -hmm. And I think spending time alone, understanding how you handle challenges is vital because if you understand that early on, you can go into any career field and be confident in how you handle challenges. Hmm. And only through spending time understanding yourself can you know how you want to be spending your time and energy where you want to spend it so for myself i understood that i wanted to be doing seva i needed a career that was centered around doing seva and Mm -hmm. i felt like medicine was the way i wanted to do that for people who want to be working on making changes for gursiks in the country they need to find a way to do that if they want to be accruing a maximum amount of wealth so that they can spend that into putting that into different sevas, then they got to figure out how to do that. Hmm. You just got to figure out what is your main purpose, right? As a Gorsak, what are you here to do? And I think if you keep the key at the center of your decision, you can make your career work for you. Mm -hmm. And it can... Be so daunting to find something you're passionate about. A lot of people aren't passionate about something, about finding a career. And that's okay. Find something you do well. Honestly, I I know reading is changed with Kindle and how to access books and things. But I I felt like the library was really where I discovered myself. Where I found what I liked, what I didn't like. Reading a book I didn't like, I'm like, uh, you know, still got to finish it. But like... Mm -hmm. You recognized, I don't want to be doing that. Yeah. I didn't enjoy that. Won't be doing that again. Hmm. Only through experiences can you learn what you want to be doing over and over again. Yeah. And I think with a lot of careers, especially as a six, we feel uh, as outsiders within certain fields, mm-hmm. looking different, being different. Yep. It's not a weakness. I think... Um, being able to go into a room and look so distinct mm-hmm. gives opens the floor to you to be very distinct. Yeah. Um, and to help yourself uh, stand out. And I think for myself, I really dealt with imposter syndrome going into naturopathic medical school. Mm-hmm. I was the only Gorsak BB there. Yeah. Wow. And it, I stood out. Mm-hmm. And instead of letting that be a sore point. I saw that as an opportunity. How can I make myself stand out more? Yeah. How can I come in most prepared and make them see how hard I'm working, mm-hmm. how well prepared I am, how competent I am for this yep. role and make my mark that way. Hmm. So whether it is whatever you're looking for, whether it's about making your mark, how you want to be serving the month, how, uh, what you want to get out of life, yep. um, what you're in, strong suits are what Mm -hmm. you know what you're most passionate about 
you have to find out for yourself. Mm-hmm. Asking other people in different fields, what got you into that field? Yep. Can be helpful, but no one else can make that decision for you. Yeah. I think introspection, spending time alone is really the most precise way to do it. Mm-hmm. You've mentioned when we spoke before that the mindset for how we perceive time has changed. What did you mean by that? And how does that apply to the upcoming generation? I think what I meant by that was uh, pointing to the social media apps that are dominating our lives now. Mm-hmm. Instagram Reels, yep, Snapchat, and TikTok. Yep. All of those things have an attention span of a few seconds. Mm-hmm. We consume so much within minutes yep. of scrolling on those apps that we think that opinions impact an image are just as transitory hmm. and wow, but they're not mm-hmm. so many of those things take time and effort yep. to be recognized as an intelligent person in your field takes time and effort. Yep. To be recognized for anything you're doing takes time and effort. Mm-hmm. And I think putting in that time and effort is not a skill that's taught. Mm. Not Definitely not through those apps. Yeah. Right? But I think we need to step away from the immediate and temporary view of the world mm-hmm. as seeing things as fleeting. Yeah. A lot of the time people um, think that their mistakes online, as permanent as they are, are temporary. Oh, it'll be gone in a minute, right? Mm-hmm. The snap that you might regret down the road yep. is not gone. The mistakes you make online are permanent. Mm-hmm. And just as permanent as negative things can be, positive things are also just as permanent. Mm-hmm. So I think mm-hmm. um, stepping away and understanding how short this life is. Yep. Snapchat and TikTok make things seem as if life is in bursts of seven second moments. Yep. But to go to the words, those seven seconds takes so much time and energy. Mm-hmm. If those same second seven seconds are in a boardroom where you're speaking to important people and you have that chance to make things change for yourself, mm-hmm. it takes so much time and effort yep. and preparation to get to that point. Mm-hmm. So stepping away from uh, social media, and I, I know I keep going back to introspection, but I think it... It is so opposite to what we are seeing now. Yeah. Instead of living in this, in the perception of others, we need to live in the perception of ourselves. Mm-hmm. How do we see ourselves? Are we proud of what we're doing? Yeah. Are we in line with our goals? Mm-hmm. There's no way you can figure out what your goals are, what your values are, if you're constantly living in other people's. Yeah. So yeah. I think stepping away from that dynamic of short-lived entertainment mm-hmm. is vital and sure I, I i'm not gonna lie i indulge in scrolling social media from time to time mm-hmm. but we have to rem- remember where our values are find yeah. out what you need to sustain your life <clears throat> what career supplements that what do you need to sustain your life whether it's finances whether it's um enjoying your career if you are a hands-on person if you yep. need something to be hands-on 
and that's what you need out of your career, find it. Mm -hmm. But you have to take, put in the time to trying things you don't like to be able to settle on things and figuring out what your long-term goals are. For me, I really hope to own a farmhouse one day. Mm -hmm. I'd like a hobby farm. How am I going to get there? Mm. And working myself back from that, I'd really like to teach yoga someday. How am I going to get there? Mm. You know, figuring out what the steps are to get that goal. And I think keeping Sikhi at the heart of all my decisions really impacted how I made those decisions. Is Mm -hmm. this in line with how people will view Sikhi? Because when you go out in the world, especially into a field where there aren't a lot of Gursiks, you are setting an example. You are a representative for the Panth. You are a representative for other Gursiks and Sikhi. Mm -hmm. And they get to see what that means through you. And if that wasn't in line, then I had to figure out I need to make a different decision. This Mm -hmm. isn't okay. And I think setting myself apart, like with naturopathic medical school, I received the humanitarian award at graduation. And Mm -hmm. it wasn't through my efforts. That was my dedication to, that was Maharaj's dedication through me to Seva. Mm -hmm. Be serving my colleagues, my patients, and everyone else in that building. Mm -hmm. Because I dedicated myself to that, people regarded Agorsik, Sikhi, Maharaj as doing that. Mm -hmm. That wasn't my award to receive. That Mm -hmm. was an, uh, an accolade. That was the recognition for Guru Sahib's commitment to Seva. Yeah. Right. And I think going back to keeping Sikhi at the heart of your decisions, mm-hmm. I think that just makes a world of an impact. This has been one of my favorite questions to ask this season. A lot of being a naturopathic uh, practitioner and a lot of the way you think is about others, uh, whether it be guiding the next generation, taking care of your patients. Um, But if you had the ability to speak with first-year undergrad, Gosharan, is there any advice or lesson you'd want to give her? (laughs) I think she really needs to hear one thing. I wish... um... First year undergrad, Gosharan was so concerned to getting to the end point. Mm Mm-hmm not enjoying the journey. Yeah. Right. That medical school goal was so pierced in my mind that I I would do anything to get there. Yeah. And mm. I was anxious about it too. Yeah. Right. I, I deal with anxiety regularly. It mm-hmm. takes a lot of effort to step outside of that. And, um, I think I, it would be very helpful for first year undergrad Gersharn to hear that relax. Mm-hmm. Everything happen happens in Maharaj's time. I know I have my timeline for how things need to happen. Mm-hmm. In my book, I needed yeah. to have graduated by summer of 2016. Yeah. Oh, sorry, May of 2016, so that I could start school, medical school in September of 2016 yep. and then go on and on and on. Mm-hmm. Things change, circumstances change, you know, you got to adjust. And I was always anxious about things not happening fast enough. Now I can tell you I graduated on time, but I did take extra courses to bump up my GPA for medical school. Yep. I finished school December 2016 mm-hmm. and then started medical school January 2017 mm. within a few weeks of each other. Yep. So I started medical school four months later and I finished undergrad 
four to six months after I had initially intended. Mm -hmm. Yep. But being so anxious, I wasn't finishing fast enough. And then when I did apply to medical school, I thought I didn't get my acceptance fast enough. Mm -hmm. I was anxious about that. Yeah. And then once I did start, I was like, I'm not finishing medical school fast enough. Yeah. I took an extra uh, eight months to finish medical school. Mm -hmm. I just extended my courses because I did have two jobs and keeping those jobs was important to me. And that work-life balance meant that I, you know, Mm -hmm. extended my internship a bit. But all those things not just happening fast enough. Yeah. I was always so anxious that they wouldn't happen if they didn't happen now. Hmm. And I needed everything to happen now. Yeah. And I think a lot of that involved me not trusting Madaj's timeline in how it would happen. Yeah. And now for this past year, I always felt I'm not getting my license fast enough. Mm-hmm. I graduated over a year ago and my goal was to be licensed by now. But yeah. in the... In that time, I also, I got married. Mm-hmm. I had the amazing opportunity to go to India and do a Panchatakti Yatra. Yep. And that would never have happened mm-hmm. if I had gotten my license when I wanted to. I would have yep. been working. Work would have taken up all my time. Yep. So I think accepting how things happen in their own time mm-hmm. has its own blessings. Yep. So many other things happen in my life because of those quote unquote, delays that I perceived that wouldn't have happened if everything happened to how I thought it needed to Mm. immediately, instantly. And I think just accepting that time. And the second thing would be to work on getting out of my head sooner. Mm. I eventually did it when I got to medical school. I had to figure out how to get out of my own head. I often get lost in thinking about how other people are perceiving me. Yep. And if I'm putting that on them one i start creating them as a villain in my mm, mindset yeah that person doesn't think i'm good enough yeah no one said anything mm-hmm. but i think i've put that on them i yeah. think they don't think i'm good enough mm-hmm. because i'm looking at myself and seeing all my flaws mm-hmm. that other person outside doesn't see all the flaws i see yeah i am being extra critical of myself and that mm-hmm. anxious thought spiral would often be projected on a lot of people yep i often felt that I didn't deserve to be in meetings or if Mm -hmm. I didn't deserve to be in the position I was in when I did get to a senior position at my school that I didn't think I deserved to be there. Mm -hmm. And that imposter syndrome took a while to take care of. And I think a lot of BBN, especially just with other BBN that I've spoken with often feel when they are surrounded by, and I don't mean to pin it on Gore, but in this country, we are surrounded by white men holding most of the power. Mm-hmm. And I think growing up with that mindset that white men hold the power, you forget how much power you're holding. Yeah. As a Gursik, you walk in as a strong Gursik, knowing what you know, with all the preparation you've done, all the hard work you've put in, mm-hmm. all the time and energy you've put into preparing for this. Yep. You walk in with this confidence that no one else can breakdown when you are so sure of yourself a lot of times i think image comes into play mm-hmm. and as of the start we be that often was in my mind in initial stages of medical school first yeah. and second year i'm not gonna lie i was so scared of being in a room and being surrounded by people who looked nothing like me who didn't yeah. understand me and i st- stood out mm-hmm. and it took time for me to assert myself show them how much i've prepared be the smartest one in the room yeah 
And oftentimes you don't even need to be the smartest one mm. in the room. Your work ethic will speak for you. Yeah. So a lot, by the time I learned the lesson that I needed to get out of my own head, it was the end of medical school. So, wow. you know, it took years. It yeah. took those years for me to understand, to step outside of my own anxious thoughts, mm-hmm. to step outside. And it would have been so helpful to teach first year undergrad Grishan, yeah. to, you know, just be confident in what she has to offer. Fair. Fair. And we met for the first time during the Pantalakriyatra. So that was... Oh, yeah. <laughs> that, yeah, wow. Thing, things work out right? in, in mysterious ways. In terms of now, we've had a blast from the past. Looking forward, where do you see yourself in the next, let's say, five years? So one thing I'm already working on, and I think this would be advice to future naturopathic medical students, is to start interviewing early. If you have clinics you want to work at, if yep. you have a vision that you want to execute, start on it early. And uh, I saw this during my medical school time that um, it was beneficial to start creating a vision of what I wanted. I really wanted to focus on mental health and digestive health. I think mental health is really an underserved area in both our community and the wider population. Mm-hmm. But I asserted myself as someone who was specializing well, not legally specializing, focusing in uh, mental health. I took a mental health first aid course, something people hadn't heard of that distinguished me. And um, I started interviewing. So right now I interviewed with The Calm on Dundas, this clinic who is in line with my views. Mm -hmm. And they were so surprised and impressed with how much I had clearly outlined what I want to do, how I want to serve, that I'm going to start working with them soon. Awesome. You know, Maraj Gepa, my license comes in, I can start mm-hmm. working with them. Um, but start interviewing early. So that's one clinic lockdown. Mm-hmm. And then I will start a second. So looking into the future, mm-hmm. ideally, I would be working in two clinics to be able to serve a wider population. Yep. And hopefully start working on a book. Hmm. I would really like to combine Sikhi, natural medicine, general healthcare information into a book for our people mm-hmm. to give a well-rounded view Um of how to make healthcare decisions, yep. how to make decisions that are best for their family and their own health. Hmm. And uh, I think that would be a really helpful resource for people in an ideal world. I'd also like to get certified as a yoga teacher someday. Fair. Awesome. We are heading towards the end of our podcast and we like to end every podcast with what we call the random five. <laughs> this is where I will ask you five totally random questions just for the listeners to get to know you a little better. So first one is, what is your favorite book? I think I've already said it. Uh, you have. <laughs> I am a Harry Potter nerd. Um, movies, books, all of it. And uh, right now I'm reading Spark, which is uh, a book about research and how exercise influences the mind and how it changes your brain structure wow. and how it reconfigures your neurons to respond to retaining memory and hmm. um how it impacts your learning and studying and all that. So that one's really interesting. I'm loving that right now. Very cool. I've only watched and read the first, the first book, first movie. And that was because of a dare. Oh my goodness. I've never, I've never cared for Harry Potter. Can I dare you to read the rest? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Second question is what is your favorite quote and or Bonnie Bunkty? I think that one's constantly changing. There's always one that speaks to me different times. Um, But right now uh, it's, Hmm. And I think 
I needed this reminder, especially now in this last phase of my life where I was doing this licensing exam. Yeah. And I I needed the reminder. We are not even able to do Simran without Maharaj's Kirpa. Yeah. Right? Right? So that exam that I was so anxious about, like, I gotta pass it, I gotta pass it. Maharaj, and then mm. the Gandhi Seva of being a doctor, yeah. and to just let go, and Maharaj will take care of it. That's awesome. What is one of your weird quirks? Um, <laughs> I'm a huge movie buff. I, really? I, uh, <laughs> it's quite annoying. Um, I spend the movie... Uh, shouting out actors' names okay. and random <laughs> facts about them. Nice. Like when someone walks onto the screen, I'm like, yeah. oh, so-and-so's in this movie. Did you know? Blah, yeah. blah, 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 blah. And it's kind of annoying. Um, but uh, I have like this database in my head <laughs> of uh, actors, yeah. filming locations, wow. um, backgrounds, training different actors have gotten. It's nice. not a useful database, but yeah. it's in there. Fair enough. Uh, if you could meet anyone in history, who would it be? Uh, I think Bibi Sharnkor. I thought about this one for a long time. Mm-hmm. You narrowed it down to one person. I had to be her. I could narrow the list down at first. But yeah. Bibi Sharnkor and uh, the bravery she had. Mm-hmm. I. Do you want to give a bit of a background for the listeners that may not know who she was? Yeah, uh, Bibi Shankar did uh, the Antam Ardas of and the Antam Sanskar of Shahid Singhs and the Vardhe Sahib Jade mm-hmm. while the Mughals were pursuing her. Yep. And at the end, had her own moth that way. Mm-hmm. And that level of bravery, I think, living in the Western world, we're so far removed yeah. um, from sometimes our history and... Mm-hmm. The bravery of the Shahids. Yeah. And being a BB myself, I just drew so much strength from her Gurbani mm-hmm. that honestly, like it would be amazing to meet her. Mm-hmm. Meeting any any Gursik who is doing selfless seva, it is 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 yeah. amazing. But BB Shankar would be amazing. Awesome. And the last one is, what's your biggest pet peeve? Um, chewing noises. People's chewing noise when people chew with their mouths open. Yep. Sitting next to me, whether it, crunchy or slop, it's it, it, just chewing noises in general. Fair enough. So before we end off today, is there anything else you'd like to leave with our listeners? Um, I think think for yourself. I can't stop saying that enough. Mm-hmm. Um figure out what you want to do with your life find the conviction to stand by it Mm -hmm. but don't look for other people don't look to other people for answers Mm -hmm. the answers are often within you and you just have to either learn about yourself or go through enough challenges to find that answer but it's within you don't those answers are not somewhere outside at the end of a journey at the end of a book or at the end of I don't know, some trek. Yeah. Well, that brings us to the end of the podcast. Thank you so much for being with us and sharing your story. And we'll be ending the episode there. Wahiguji ka khalsa, wahiguji ki fateh.
You've been listening to the Experience Siki podcast.